Welcome to part two of our discussion with Adam Dorothy Osai. In this part, we talk about the early days of Mayan, the kind of work she did then, and the kind of work she does now. We also talk about how she tries to engineer cultural change in the society she serves, as well as the challenges of keeping young people engaged in her programs. Enjoy. Ah, my 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 green lantern, <laughs> my my G wagon. <laughs> it was a Nissan Almera green. Okay. It was my G wagon. Oh, awesome. So I would carry all the books. Now what happened was I, I I went to visited a lot of like publishing firms, bookstores in Ibadan. You know the books you didn't sell last year, the books in storage. Can you donate, 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 donate? So a couple of them gave me books. So within a short space of months, I had like a, a small collection of about one thousand books. Wow. So I would go into the community. Yes, yeah, so I then went to the landlords and residents association in a specific community and i said can you give me a space okay. so they gave me the space so i would go there so i would i, I then sensitize households went to shops went around shops houses and told them you know saturday between the hours or so so and so this service is available in this community school. did they give you the space or did they make it available for certain periods of time so it was you know that the, the the space was donated for a period of time on Saturdays. Gotcha. Okay. So it was a school, oh, okay. a school space, a school ground. So I had access to it between the hours of twelve to four every Saturday, hmm. free, free usage. You know. So I then, you know, told children, sensitized families, blah blah blah, that you can come and access the service. And I remember the first day we started, we had seventeen users, seventeen, you know, um, community-based children who came. Within, I think, over like two months, we had grown to eighty children every Saturday. Oh. Yeah, Whoa. so we had that many. Yes, it was so huge. You know, you would see we started, we expanded. So we started in a classroom. We at some point we spread to three classrooms, and then you know the number of books kept growing. So that's how we started the mobile library, okay. and we ran it that way for a couple of years until we found that it, it it became a community. And like I said, it wasn't just a library; it was a resource hub. So it was an alternative to or a supplement to what they were getting in school. So we had children who started when they were in JS one. Suddenly they are in SS three and their needs mm. are changing their needs are changing they're now adolescents with you know adolescent complications yeah. and the library is no longer satisfying their needs but you mm. need them to have that space that is counterculture i needed them to still keep coming to that space because not coming to that space left them vulnerable to what other spaces represent in their lives you know whether it's the streets whether it's the back of their neighbor's house whether it's their friend's house that's going to allow them to start calling boyfriend up and down the place things like that <laughs> so those other spaces are dangerous what do you have against the friends <laughs> i was okay, actually so about to i was actually about to ask you about um, counterculture um, yes. the phrase itself is, is is quite strange to a lot of people hmm. and uh, i would like to I, I would like you to break it down as such that the average person can actually understand the effect it, it, it continues to put on growing children and mm. growing from teenage from adolescent years to teenage years because that's where a lot of us miss it a lot we miss mm-hmm. it a lot in, in those years and um, it's always very difficult to recover from it so i would like you mm-hmm. having had first-hand experiences with these kids i love the fact that when you said that um, from adolescent to their teenagers, from somebody who's in GSS one, uh, we GSS three to to SS one, two, three. Their needs changes, hmm. uh, yeah, especially so, their so, social needs. Out, out. Yeah. What are those effects that it had on them? 
right and if i can add to that essentially you're saying the space and the projector to grow so that they don't age out of it um so how did you accomplish that as well so what effect did it have on them and how did you accomplish that growth okay so um i mean and the interesting thing is you know counterculture of course means many things depending on what your context is you know whether you're a rural based uh, child for instance or whether you're in the urban centers or you whether you're you know within the elite structures exposed to rich friends rich kids who then maybe people have enough pocket money to even go clubbing and start trying you know recreational drugs but in the context of these particular children um, given that they, we, we live in peri, they live in peri-urban fringe communities in Ibadan, I think for us the the risks, the, the dominant cultures are at that age, you know, um, more so given that the academic tracks are not very strong because they've never enjoyed qualitative learning in those public schools. So they're not their chances of getting into higher education are slim at best. So they are typically, you know, already discouraged against that track. They're already some of them have even started apprenticing even while in school. So they're learning a trade already. They're combining them with going to school in the process of that they're on the streets they're exposed to the streets very early they gain a very early kind of street independence you know they're taking they're not the average sheltered kids um and then again given the last decade in nigeria of course you know there have been certain influences that have come in with the mobile phone internet these people these children too have had access and this has unlocked other sort of you know new norms within their cultures too now they are able to connect so that girl in or joe is finally able to start chatting with that boy in polytechnic you know that big boy ah you understand so so you know how it is now so and they have gangs they have they have terminologies all these things that exist in adult settings they sort of miniaturize it even in their own settings so they have big brother on the streets big brother they have all those things so what happens in those spaces is that they are exposed very early to you know um opportunities what the, whatever kind of this they start making money fast money they start interacting with the opposite sex you know and these things like you know um uh, you said have implications for for them in terms of their life choices because next day somebody will carry belly whether we like to know somebody will, will get pregnant and that just sets the person on a different trajectory so we wanted to make sure that we were not losing these young people who started with us who had you know bitten into the apple of you understand dreams of ah, the future of okay i can meet so i can enter university but suddenly there the sensitive pivotal moment in their lives where that dream is their competitions for that you understand that dream is no longer as attractive given the layer of big brother or given the layer of you understand maybe <laughs> owning a an iphone iphone 11 or what about what are the iphone latest iphones meanwhile your father is a cab driver but somebody has sold you that silly you understand so next thing you want to you you want to jaya jaya or you want to start following those chicks to where they are going to so that you meet that uncle that will give you that money to buy that iphone this so we wanted to make sure that they still held all that this the dream of university and not university more as a metaphor the dream of a of a a life through hard work a life more enduring through hard work you would it would require you to delay gratification but that the book my uh the goal of our mobile library is to communicate to them that knowledge is the is the most enduring ticket out of poverty you know um any other thing as attractive as it is is not sustainable it's not as you know enduring it's it's a flash in the pan so we understand that for us to keep reinforcing that message we need to keep them within 
our refuge. We need to keep them coming back in. So what are the, what were the ways we 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 designed to um, fight these cultures outside and make our space, you know, the counter? Number one, that space has to be a safe space where they can talk about these real issues. So we introduced into our programs, you understand, safe space conversations. So in our space, they themselves, they lead conversations. So the soft skills sessions that we used to have before that we would invite guests, they begin to take the soft skills sessions. And sometimes the soft skill sessions get into discussions about sex, get into discussions about dressing, get into discussions about, you know, me too, I want a modern phone. And, you know, so they begin to have those conversations, what it really is the motive for owning it what really is the vacuum in your life what does it mean to you what what really are the fears or the insecurities you have and they begin to you know have these conversations themselves and it's guided by a, a somebody who is more adult more experienced who can also share that these, these things are not new we too in our time it happened you understand and that to tell them that you know to bust the myth because they see all the davidos and the whiskeys and to bust the myth and they've glamorize these people and they don't they also glamorize them in the way that they don't focus on the hard work element of these people's lives they don't focus on the number of hours these ones spend in the studios and almost to see almost also narrowing life to strictly entertainment so we tell them for instance that so when davido choma davido's girlfriend or baby mama as we like to put it choma was having a baby choma came to america to get the best healthcare in america to deliver that her baby at the end of the day, somebody's science and technology, Davido with all his noise, Davido still came there. Or Malian, the Malian culture, when Malian was trending and everybody was, these young boys and girls in Ibadan were striking in schools and beating their teacher. We shall have told them that Mr. Mali himself, whether after the, when push comes to shove, they say he graduated from one school in UK, Abby. He has two masters, actually. Thank you. You understand? So when push comes, after he makes all the noise and deceives all of you, he will re- fall back. You know, so just getting them to 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 go deeper to see that these these narratives are, are, are you know to see the the depth beneath the narratives, all those surface surface rubbish, and to also put the right role models in front of them so that they can make informed choices because sometimes is a function of what's, what information is penetrating is coming into their world and if all they see are just these you know I, this this almost near fictional characters because they've so so you know glamorized this world that these people are not real anymore to now present other people you understand who also are successful in their own fields so that money is not the single denominator of success anymore because in the lives of these young people we are now presenting an image where money is the only denominator of success so showing them other people too reminding the girls too that see okojoy where last see her now where she, she can enter where presidents are entering you know so we try to do those things then we do we, we, we make them we give them opportunity to dance to act the things that young people enjoy doing and they will never have the freedom to do in those religious just or those boring places that want to preach merit but never allow them express themselves so we ensure that our space is both a combination of emphasizing on merit emphasizing on hard work and giving them the free reins to express themselves as every young person should and i think that's what keeps them coming back you know so how many learning centers do you have now because basically the the mobile library graduated into the learning center you still have the mobile libraries in places where you don't have that um physical space yet yeah right so how many learning centers do you have right now and how many people are you seeing on say weekly basis so we currently have two two now um uh, one is in Ojo community in Ibadan, where on the and initially we were operating on weekends alone, where we would receive a, about forty to fifty teenagers on the weekend. But now we operate every day of the week as well. 
Um, so after school hours, the timing is different during the week. But after school hours, young people can still come into the center. Come and do your homework. If you have homework, you want to access the internet, you know, in a in a safe way. Not that you're going to do, you know, the things that other people so you want to access the internet for for your homework or you just want to you know watch TED talks you understand things that shall stimulate your brain to think sensibly you can come and do that there you need um, to reference a book in our library do that you just want to be around people that you understand that just inspire you or young people that their head did there come into the space as opposed to going home where maybe there's no light mama mommy grandma is the one there helping you to turn uh, amala or this and you want some time off by yourself so that space is for them during the weekdays we see roughly about 15 15 to 20 young people you know during the week but weekends we have like i said about 40 to 50 the second space is more in um in the in in the city like sort of central city area it's in bodija in ibadan um, it doubles as both a youth hub and a teacher's hub. The, it was set up to um, sort of provide ICT training or, you know, to train a new cohort of public school teachers in basic digital skills. And it also doubles as a youth learning space. So we combine entrepreneurship education, employability education in that space. Um, there are activities are mostly during the week. Then we have once a month meetups for young people where we have about 30 young people especially young entrepreneurs come in for these monthly meetups. It's growing into sort of like a, um, a, a an event that young people look forward to, you know, attending um, every month. So those are the two spaces we currently have um, and we hope to keep expanding. Now, you talked about trying to keep the programming engaging for these kids so that they don't fall away for lack of a better term um, out of the program out of the space where they find contact with the program of more value than whatever else is going on outside but because it's just you and it's just your organization and you know you don't have 50 million arms or 50 million dollars to make sure that you know it's within five minutes of every home there are obviously people who fall out of the program for one reason or another you know it's it's only inevitable do you in your experience are boys more likely to fall out of the program than girls or vice versa and why so who do you think is more likely to stick with it and who do you think is more likely to fall through the cracks and what what do you think are the factors that influence those so from my experience, um, the boys fall out earlier okay. than the girls. Um, if you look, if you look at a cohort that started together, because I think the boys encounter the pressure way earlier, and I we literally used to see it like when we we're still in the school, you know, space before we got our own space. The pitch there was a large foot, you know, ground in the school compound where football, you know, the, the local community boys always come to play football. Mm-hmm. So their mates, like all some of the boys who were in their, their classmates, would come and be laughing at them or sniggering and taunting them. Ah, see this will look like you there they read which what do you they read? You understand? Your mates there they play football, you they read book. I was just laughing. I said in those days when I was growing up, they would laugh at the person playing football 
and say, you know, see you, your mates, they read book. But the reverse is the case in these kinds of communities. So because of that, it's so much more difficult for the boys. Um, I, and I, I, I can't even picture what like their everyday school life is. This was just what I was witnessing on Saturdays, which was, you know, the pressure from the football pitch or those on the football pitch that whatever we're doing here is far more beneficial than whatever you're doing in that silly library. Where will it lead you to? <laughs> Imagine what, you know, the peer pressure of the average day in school looks like, where I know elephant grass is exchanging hands, you understand? <laughs> you know it's definitely harder and so the boys we noticed you know left the program earlier what we always tried to do was um make sure we had like almost um we started trying to do programs whereby they didn't have to come and sit down they could come and borrow a book and go away so for instance so that they won't be mocked you know because some of them genuinely enjoyed reading but they didn't want to be seen reading so that was that there was that we also um tried to make sure that even while they're not with us what's your plan like you know have conversations so once in a while we'll just maybe visit them at home um your necessity now what school are you thinking of you need learning you need this you need that okay we'll start sending them information we used to gather like information resources to give to them you know like um okay if you want to study this this here's how to you know go about it or there's a um remedial you know jam blessing in so so credible jam blessing for children who blah 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 blah. just give them information resources sometimes that's better than requiring them to come and sit down you know in your space um what i also discover is that um programs that service adolescents should also i think in my opinion necessarily um incorporate or integrate um sexual and reproductive health you know um services especially like or even if it's just information-based services also um counseling services sometimes like i said young people and so we, we started bringing in um, a psychologist who from time to time will come in on specific days because it's interesting the amount and apparently in in these fields they already have defined like they have a clear sense of what the maybe five um threats to an adolescent are like so they already even have this whole um what's the word to use almost uh, treatment based or therapy therapy based kind of approach to mm-hmm. handling adolescent because they already know what the, the triggers or the you know risks to adolescent lives are so we used to bring them in for those who would come and most times it was the girls coming in okay. girls report a lot of issues with rape <clears throat> rape in this community context a lot of girls have experienced it maybe they with, with rape with rape yes okay. very early they they followed one boyfriend or you know they're usually in at that age where they're Italy, um what do you call it impressionable. Uh, very impressionable you know so they want to so immediately one year one guy one guy who is in year one in any institution including uh, my father's you know farm at the backyard as oh, long yeah. as his year one is attached to it the, the guy is like a big shot so that guy anything he says is almost as if Gwari's son has come so they will follow you and in the process they become so vulnerable to a lot of these things so we have incidents of that nature we have so many reports of um uh what do you call it pedophilia that's um Ooh. yes and oh your state interestingly has the highest record of you know um child sexual violations um and abuse in the southwest so in the southwest yes of the country so these these incidents you know we find them they a lot of them come to report and what happens is their families typically settle it they'll call the father of the boy those things happen so the girls have not dealt with the trauma so we find ways to connect them to you know trained professionals who can guide them support them without complicating their lives by making a legal you know out of it 
also involving the parents. So, but anyways, the, to the main question, the people who first, who, who have the pressure to exit the programs, um, I, I would think, I wouldn't say most, but I would think earlier, uh, mm-hmm. the boys. Okay. At some point, the girls also encounter the pressure because then being more fashionable is more interesting. Being more attractive to the opposite sex is far more interesting. So they, have, they begin, they become exposed to skincare products, bleaching, braiding their hair, you know, because remember, they are also, like I said, at that age, they are typically learning a trade even while going to school. So in the process of closing leads from that, uh, whether it is the tailoring shed or the hair making shed, somebody's toasting them, somebody or somebody's been, is, is, is doing the toasting. So they are experiencing rituals, you know, stages of growth. Mm-hmm. Right of passage. Yes, thank you, right of passage, you know, um, sort of away from us. And um, we also notice at some point the pressure is on the girls. But I think we, we have a higher retention uh, success um, record with keeping the girls okay. than with the boys. Now, how do you think, uh, what, what do you think could be done to help them, boys and or girls, to s- actually see the value of the program long term for them, their lives? Because the, I would gander to guess that the only reason why that peer pressure um, wins out in the end is because in the grand scheme of things, they really can't see what's on the horizon. They really can't see what the actual end product is because all they see and all they experience is what's within, I don't know, two, three, four, five kilometer radius of where they live, right? So what do you think could be done to help them broaden their horizons to a place where they can actually see where how the benefits could compound for them? And I, I think it's very interconnected because, um, I mean, society's values also at the end of the day, like that bigger construct of what, what you know, um, society sort of frames for them as, you know, um, what will help you navigate society best or what society will reward most yeah. is also sending signals to them. And in the context of Nigerian society as at today, <laughs> as at today, right. we have it. it's tougher for people who are in this space because the values shifted at that macro level at that macro level society is signaling to people that it is money it is money that you need to number one satisfy your aspirations it is money that you need to overcome the you understand the challenges of this environment it is money that you need to defeat police it is money that you need to avoid police it is money that you need to it is money that you need to you know everything it all boils down to money so everybody's focus or the majority's focus now is on how can i get that money right it is money that you need to live a life that is you know uh, that avoids crime it is money that you need to to lead to, to also live a life that can you know escape when the consequences of crime so you know at the end of the day it's like money is all that it takes with it though if there's fuel queue you will get fuel if there is no full queue, you get, you know, so that's what we've signaled. And because of that, when people like us are coming to talk about books, 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 they're looking at a society where those who read the books didn't get the jobs. Their right. brother, their older brother is at home, has not gotten employed. Their older sister, next day, they're even making more money. They've already hammered more than their older brother. Their older brother is suddenly looking like a fool, you know, and in that kind of construct, it's hard for you to come and, you know, be consistently, you know, emphasizing on this message because they don't see it. Society is communicating a completely different thing. 